Today on A Novel Review, a mantelpiece moment that reflects on the history of the Mediterranean. A novel that explores the darkness of the human soul and just how easily civilization can be displaced. And then, as always, what book have I pulled from the never-ending, ever-growing tower of books on my bedside table? All of that this week on A Novel Review. Hello and welcome to the literature podcast, A Novel Review. My name is Seamus, your host, and together we will discuss, dissect, and explore the wonderful world of literature, and the wonderful world of literature is a vast and dense jungle, so let's start making our way through, one book at a time. Hello, hello, and welcome back, and welcome to the beginning of another episode of A Novel Review, a podcast exploring the wonderful world of literature. My name is Seamus, and I am your host, and for today's episode, The Darkness That Rests Below the Surface. Yes, today I will be discussing William Golding's novel, The Lord of the Flies. But... Before I jump into this book, I always take a moment to reflect on any mantelpiece moments, something to highlight from the week past, and this week, I am just reflecting upon a line I wrote while recently holidaying in Genova, Italy, and I was at the beach, doing some reading, looking at the horizon when I wrote this line, and it goes, The Mediterranean was history's playground, looking over that ephemeral space longing to soar into its horizon with the prospect of adventure. But as much as it was a playground, it was a graveyard. I don't know, but there was just something about looking over it, looking over the Mediterranean, thinking about seeing all the ships sail to Troy or the siege of Syracuse, the pirates capturing and ransoming Caesar. The Med seems to be this hotspot for all, the wonderful history that we indulge and love to read, but... In the end, it is just a graveyard for a lot of death and destruction. So, on that very happy note, let's move on. Housekeeping, as always, all the scripts from the episode are available on my website, just in case you know of anyone who has a hearing impairment who might get a kick out of a written version of the pod. So, head along, they are all free for use for all to enjoy. Also, all the episodes are available on YouTube with closed captions, if that's more your cup of tea. Here we are, Lord of the Flies. I am sure most people have read this novel at some point in their lives. It is, it's, it's one of the quintessential high school novels, which I think turns a lot of people off because they think it either might be a bit childish, ironic as it's a story about children, hey y'all, or they have a bad taste left in their mouth from having to read it, being forced to read it for school. But, I mean, it's actually a solid book. It is quite a short book, so I, I, I don't think it's some huge investment on your behalf, and it has this wonderful depth to it. I say wonderful, but I suppose in reality, it's actually a horrifying depth about just how just how fragile we are as humans and how fragile our perception of a civilized world actually is. Werner Herzog wrote that 
Civilization is like a thin layer of ice upon a deep ocean of chaos and darkness. And I think that pretty much sums up this novel. So maybe we just call it a day. What do, what, what, like, what do we think? No? Okay, okay. I guess I can talk a little more. Published in 1954, The Lord of the Flies tells the story about a group of young British boys who find themselves stranded on an uninhabited island. The story from here is actually really simple. Day by day, the boys try to govern themselves. They elect a chief and do their best to run as a community. However, due to their age and lack of experience in such things, the society deteriorates and power becomes a might over right situation. Their age is an important factor in the setting of the narrative of the story because you need boys who are old enough to understand power in a societal sense and yet not understand how it actually works. Someone gives an order and everyone follows, but what they don't understand is who is giving the order and why people follow. That, I mean, that makes us sound a bit like we're all kind of sheep just following the flock, but of course, what I'm referencing to ultimately is democracy and general consensus and of course, laws. But what happens? when you put a group of pre-adolescent children together who roughly understand power dynamics without understanding them. Chaos. That's only slightly dramatic because initially, the boys do try organise themselves into a rough hierarchical society, electing Ralph, one of the boys as the head of the assembly, and they instate some rules, one of which whoever is holding the conch, which the conch is a shell, they have the right to speak. The other rules are have fun, survive, and keep the fire going at all times so they can be rescued. That, while not being a great set of rules, is still pretty good awareness, mostly surrounding the smoke fire, of which they are able to start thanks to one of the characters called Piggy and his glasses. Now, quite early in the novel, an interesting scene happens, and that is some of the boys, including Ralph and Jack, who is the unofficial next in charge, and most likely to steal the power from Ralph, head to the highest point on the island and look around. Once up there, they can view the whole island, and they all declare that the island is theirs, which is interesting because once you declare that something is yours, you now have something to lose and therefore you have something to defend. Ironically, from the highest peak on the island, for these boys after making that declaration, it's all downhill from there. Thank you, thank you. Brilliant joke and analogy. I will be here all week. Tensions start to rise with the failure to adhere to the rules. One of the chief issues that arises is the boys fail to recognize the power dynamics thinking that adults have power based on the fact that they are bigger and are adults. And so the children ultimately start to fail to do what Ralph orders because they don't really conceive that he is a force of power. This failure of Ralph is not unique. It doesn't feel like it's a failure in the same way that perhaps a politician would fail due to bad policy or perhaps scandal. 
maybe that happens a bit less these days. I could probably name a few politicians that should fail due to bad policies and scandal, but I, like, I don't want to get sidetracked. The failure feels like it's more of an uncertainty. Uncertainty in the leader, in the self, in the situation, and this is wonderfully portrayed in the characters who are quite interesting because I think they display the difference in power balances. Another issue that plagues the island is the boys start to think that there is something else on the island, the beast as they call it, this this amorphous thing that they can't quite see but seems to be there hunting them. That's one of the main issues, but I still think the power dynamics between the boys is one of the chief issues they face. Ralph and Jack are the two boys who are competing for top spot. Though Ralph is elected chief, though he struggles with decisions. Jack, on the other hand, is quite forward and confident with his declarations, mostly to hunt wild pigs for meat, and is largely unfussed with things like building shelters and maintaining the fire. Piggy is the boy with glasses who is a rule follower, but is not seen as anyone important because he is a little chubby, hence the name. But it is funny and sad because he is actually quite well-spoken and has solid ideas about the stability of civilization and the rationale towards life. The fourth, and in my opinion, the last important character is Simon. Simon is the incredibly introspective character who is one of the most switched-on children on the island. He is constantly walking off and considering larger questions beyond his age. Plagued by existential thoughts, Simon begins to question the presence of a beast with this thought. Simon, walking in front of Ralph, felt a flicker of incredulity. A beast with claws that scratched, that sat on a mountaintop, that left no tracks and yet was not fast enough to catch Sam and Eric. However Simon thought of the beast... There rose before his inward sight the picture of a human, at once heroic and sick. Heroic and sick. What an interesting way to describe man. Heroic and sick. This idea only backed up by Piggy. Wonderful, wonderful, innocent Piggy. Piggy and his ideas that say things like, Life is scientific. That's what it is. In a year or two when the war is over, they'll be travelling to Mars and back. I know there isn't no beast, not with claws and all that I mean, but I know there isn't no fear either, unless we are frightened of people. That is a wonderfully insightful quote into the rationale of Piggy and what he possesses for the world, but also a tasty little bit of foreshadowing for the novel. Through the middle section of the novel, when the mental state of the boys starts to unravel is easily the best part. At first, as their minds start to understand the isolation, notions of fear are stirred up, especially at night, and this is perpetrated by that idea that there is a beast on the island. It drives them, and it drives their paranoia. They don't quite know what it is, or what it could be. As I said in the quote earlier, Simon has begun to unravel an idea that the beast did not exist, and the quote I read from Piggy begins to imply that Perhaps they are the beasts. Through this section, the assembly of boys splits into two factions, Ralph's tribe and Jack's tribe. 
After a successful hunt, Jack and his army cut off a pig's head and impale it on a stick for the beast as an almost sacrificial offering. And from here, you get one of the most poetic and best pieces of the novel when Simon has an almost fevered conversation with the pig's head, which Simon calls the Lord of the Flies. And the Lord confirms his ideas that there is no beast on the island. Simon then discovers that there is a dead parachuted man on the island, which is the beast all the boys are convinced exists, and rushes back to tell them. But meanwhile, that instability of the boys is simmering, just about to boil over. Ralph and Piggy go to visit Jack's tribe, only to find them with painted faces and participating in ritualistic dances and chants. And interestingly, there is a shift that no longer recognises them as children, but rather savages. So as Ralph and Piggy turn up, Simon stumbles in from the darkness, and both tribes, driven by fear, think that the beast has emerged from the darkness and come for them, when really the only beast that has emerged from the darkness is within the boys. They mistake Simon and beat him to death in a wild frenzy of bloodlust and physicality. It is important because both tribes were present and participated in the crime, and it's one of those moments in a novel where you have to stop for a moment because the moment you feared, the moment that they were angling to, such an act has just been committed, and now you know there is no going back for these boys. Now there is a lawlessness, a morally ambivalent shade to the novel that just continues to build between the boys right up until the end. It's a novel that I feel is now overlooked and passed along as almost high school literature. Something to never revisit, and yet it always is probing the mysteries of the human experience. Where would I fit into this group of boys if I myself was a similar age? How would I act without direction? And of course, how quickly could you lose touch with your own humanity? To quote Heath Ledger's Joker for the second time on the podcast, actually, but to quote the Joker... Madness is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. And if you have finished the novel, I think you will find the little pun in that quote that entails one of the more shocking scenes of the story. Now, what would I rate this little gem of a book? Short, punchy, dark. I'm going to give it a four out of five. So what am I reading this week? This week I am reading, I have started to read, a novel called The Passion According to G.H. by Clarice Lispector. This is my second time reading a Lispector story, and I mean, I'm only probably 20, 30 pages in, but my god, this book needs to be read slowly and thoughtfully. So far, there doesn't seem to be a storyline, but I did check, and there is a storyline coming, because... Despite the philosophical, introspective, existential nature of it, which is incredibly interesting, I do also love a story. But yeah, it's incredibly, incredibly thoughtful and thought-provoking. This is just one of the many lines that have already stuck out to me, but it says, I don't know what to do with what I've lived. I'm afraid of that profound disorder. I don't know what to do with what I've lived. All this, all this history that we accumulate day by day, what do I do with it? It is a chaos, a disorder, as Lispector writes, but a profound one. I think this novel is shaping up to be like Patrick Suskind's The Pigeon, or maybe even Albert Camus' The Outsider. I hope so. 
I love both those stories so much. Even if it's not, this story is still shaping up to be an important one. Now, before I close out the show, if you have listened this far, please consider hitting those five stars. I would really appreciate it. Also, feel free to head along to the website and support the pod. And of course, thank you, thank you, thank you for your attention. So I think it's time to end this episode. And today, to take us away, I think a bit of Blaise Pascal and a quote that fits in with the chaotic disorder of this episode. And the quote goes, What then is to become of man? Will he be the equal of God or the beasts? What a terrifying distance. What then shall it be?